Today, we discuss why creating a team culture can be one of the most powerful things within coaching. We talk about some unique ways you can improve your coach development and different places you can take your coach inspiration from. Welcome to the Walk Talks Coaching Podcast. I'm a student studying sport coaching and physical education at the world's leading sport uni, Loughborough University. On the podcast, we discuss everything coaching from tactics and techniques to team culture and managing egos with some of the leading experts, coaches and practitioners. You can follow us on Instagram at WT underscore coaching and on Twitter at WT coaching. Today on the podcast, I am very pleased to welcome the head basketball coach at Loughborough Uni, who is also the assistant coach at Leicester Riders and GB Under 20 Men's, Mark Jarum. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on and, and look forward to talking all things coaching. That's great. I'm really excited for you to be on. We've got some good topics lined up, so it should be very interesting. I think what would be a good start is to just uh, give the listeners a brief overview of your coaching journey, because it's quite interesting, as you've had, um, you've coached in quite a few places, but you've ended up back at your hometown. Yeah, yeah I'm very, very fortunate uh, in a lot of ways to, to come full circle. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm originally from Loughborough. So, born and raised here. Uh, all my family is, is still in and around Loughborough, so I'm lucky and fortunate in that situation as well. Um, but yeah, it, it all started back in my days attending Burley Community College. Uh, we, we were pretty good from a basketball standpoint back then, and I was fortunate to kind of build my foundations and my passion for the game there. And I actually was involved in the, the Leicester Riders Junior Program growing up so I played for the Leicester Riders Colts we were called back then and um, I was I was able to practice with the Riders team um, during some of my junior years as well and uh, and I did actually try to to get a scholarship to the US and that that fell through so you know I was pursuing a career as a player um, and I ended up going to University of Worcester here in the UK which at the time was a was a powerhouse for for basketball um, during those years, and had a had a fantastic couple of years there as a player. But I kind of got to the point of realization where I wasn't going to have a career as a player in basketball. You know, I I was good, but I wasn't good enough. Um, so it was in my last year at university where I I kind of made the transition into coaching a little bit and. I was assistant coach of the of the championship team that year, and that kind of lit a fire uh, under me, and and was my point of realization of okay, maybe maybe coaching is the pathway to to stay in the game. And I love basketball, and I wanted to stay in basketball, so that's that's where it kind of that started the pursuit of of becoming a coach. And I was super fortunate. Uh, straight after graduation, I landed an opportunity to go over to the US and. I was coaching at a Division Three school um, for for three years out in uh, out in upstate New York, which was Bard College, which was a tremendous experience. You know, to be fully engulfed in a in a culture and an environment that really prioritised basketball, I was able to learn a lot and 
unfortunately slash unfortunately i don't know how you look at it but we we weren't very good uh, from a from a wins and loss standpoint um but what it did provide me was the opportunity to learn how to build a program and yeah the wins and losses weren't what we wanted but what was very rich from that experience was the opportunity to learn and grow and and figure out what what matters most and and really figure out who i wanted to be as a coach so yeah that was that chapter and then uh summer of 2012 i returned back to the uk uh obviously olympics year so at that time uh, drew sullivan was the was the head coach of loughborough basketball program and you know as gb captain he he had some other priorities <laughs> at that period of time um so he was off in london for the olympics and and it left loughborough without a coach so we kind of did a uh, a Leicester Riders and Loughborough basketball joint combined preseason, and I was around, so um, I got asked if if I wanted to to kind of join in on that and help out, which I did, and that's when I I met. Well, I kind of knew Rob Panostro from the Riders anyway from from my previous time, and um, from there we we hit it off, and he said we'd love a situation where you could be around all year and. We were fortunate to do that, so we created a, a full-time position for me where I did a little bit of community coaching in schools, um, but then I was full-time assistant for the Leicester Riders that that 2012-2013 year. And uh, yeah, that was a that was a heck of a year for us. We won the treble. Um, it was a great team. Uh, heck, you know, good. You have a lot of success. It normally means you got some great players. <laughs> yeah, we definitely had that that year, and that's where that's where the kind of the, the past eight years kind of started. So the year after that, I I was still the BBL assistant coach. Uh, I then took the Loughborough head coaching gig, and I was also head coach of, of Charmwood College. Um, so that was that was a really busy year. There was a lot of basketball. I was moving from one practice to another, um, but it, it it really cemented. Kind of, this is what I want to do. This is this is the direction and the journey I want to go on, and and really built out who I who I want to be in the programs that you know I want to I want our programs to look like, so to speak. And yeah, we we've, we're um, bringing in another coach to to take the head role of the Charmer program after that, and and that's where I've I've kind of been able to really focus the past seven years on solely the Loughborough program and, and still being the BBL assistant. So, yeah, here we are eight seasons later with um, 24 pieces of silverware, which is great, but a lifetime of, of memories and a lifetime of bonds and, you know, just a, a eight years of, of ultimate growth, really, as a coach. Awesome. I mean, lots of brilliant environments that you've been able to uh, work in and play in and coach. It's how did you find, obviously moving over to America, basketball is, is huge over there. How did you find just the environment of um, their dedication to basketball? Obviously, you've, you came from a very dedicated uni in basketball, but how did you find the difference over in America? Yeah, I mean, like, like I mentioned in, in, the, in, the, in the brief <laughs> background that I gave, um, it was just an, an opportunity to to be somewhere where basketball was was a real priority, and in the in the U.S. college system, there's um, there's a lot of opportunities for young coaches to really learn what coaching 
is about. And I, I was fortunate to be in that situation. I, I was working for an incredible head coach. He was, he was Bard's all-time leading scorer. So he knew, he knew that program very well and he knew that conference very well. So I was able to learn from somebody that not only knew the game, but knew what it took to win in, in that environment or, and okay, we weren't winning, but we were striving for that. So I learned the pursuit of winning, so to speak. Fantastic. And how did you find that transition from being a player into being a coach? Uh, it, it was actually pretty easy because the passion was was so fierce, and I I knew that I knew that like I said I wanted to be involved in the game of basketball and whatever it took to to kind of f- uh, fulfill those needs of being in the game like i i was quite a heady player for for playing the point guard position I, I almost felt like i was a leader and a coach on the floor anyway so i was figuring out how to do that and uh it was just an easy transition like my my mental game was was there it was my body that was the issue so i was thinking the game well but uh, my body and my skill set wasn't quite doing it so i thought well maybe i could tell other people or, or guide other people in how to do this a little better than what i can <laughs> that's that's quite good i mean uh, the current liverpool manager jürgen klopp he said a similar thing to that cuz he played i think third or fourth division in germany football and he said I know exactly what I want to do, but I, I just can't do it physically, so I'll have to make other people do it. So Yeah, I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> now, moving on to our first topic, um, I've got a quote first by the ex-Bulls um, and, and Lakers coach Phil Jackson. He says, Basketball is a great mystery. You can do everything right, have the perfect mix of talent, the best system, but if the players don't have a sense of oneness as a group, your efforts won't pay off. So linking into that culture, I think, is what I gained from that, that is absolutely key. You said, obviously, in your time in America and then at Loughborough and uh, with the Riders, but how do you create that sense of culture and that oneness as a group? Yeah, I, I think this is a major, major key in, in terms of coaching and especially in, an, in our environment. You know, every environment's different, but for us, I think that, common goal and that um, unison as as pursuit of, of one powerful thing I mean I'm not I'm not perfect at building a culture but it's one of my most favorite parts of coaching and I've invested a lot of time into it and there's there's often a lot of heartache and pain with coaches and, and some coaches walk away from from coaching because maybe they haven't had the joy or there's been a little bit of underachievement um, and it's normally down to the culture that they've built or the environment that they're in and you know at an elite and, and pro level there's there's a higher and fire type approach and it's not often the wins and losses um that do it the, the why behind it is normally their their lack of leadership or management or the culture and environment that that they created so um i think in order to achieve your potential or overachieve as a as a team or a group you, you need that thriving culture and i can't i can't think of any championship team in the past that didn't have some sort of strong culture like it it is the x factor i i can't i can't think of any championship team that didn't have a a strong culture um so my my biggest fear is actually it's not losing it's it's kind of underachieving and and not meeting our potential and i, I think 
culture is a really, really important part to that. And with a great culture, there's, there's the opportunity to, to have transformation. It's, it is where transformation happens. And it can happen for you as a coach and the players and the staff and the program and the community. So, yeah, I think real growth happens and, and it lasts. You know, if you have a good culture, you're not just a, a one-hit wonder. It's not just one year that you do well. It's uh, a strong culture is something that lasts year in and year out. So, yeah, I, I do think it's it's definitely something that you have to realize what is in your control when you're when you're building a culture. Um, I love building it, but it's very very difficult, and you're going to fail, and you're going to have good days and bad days. But it's all about growing and evolving it and learning how to build it a little bit stronger every day. And yeah, I think it's a, it's a massive buzzword. So uh, you definitely got to define it and it, it culture means different things to everyone. Um, and for me, it culture is like, it's, it's who you are. It's what you do. It's how you show up every day. It's how you live out every day. And your culture is always on show. So every interaction that you have, whether that's a conversation with somebody, whether it's an email, whether it's a WhatsApp message, whether it's, you know, any sort of interaction is always a representation of your culture. And you have to be mindful of that. Like, that, that's not a burden. That's that's just a reality. Like, your culture is what, what you are and how you live. Um, so you're always emphasizing something, whether that's good or bad. You're always allowing or, or like, saying that what you're doing is acceptable or unacceptable. So I think there's a, there's a common misconception that in a great culture, everything's great and everything's fluffy and and you know roses but not all great cultures are happy and fun at times a great culture isn't joyous at all times you know there's a there's a degree of of adversity within a great culture um and i I actually see a a really good culture as as a really good family so there's if you think of a really healthy family there's there's plenty of adversity in a family. You know, you, you still fight, yeah, you still have problems, but you find a way to figure it out and you find a way to continually love each other and you find a way to move forwards. So, yeah, I think I think a good culture is like a good family and that's a good way to put it. And another misconception I think about culture is, you know, you, you have good culture just because you go for a team meal or you go bowling. And I think that's more team bonding. So there's a difference between team bonding and team building, and you definitely need both to have a great culture. But yeah, you can't just you can't just go for for bowling with your team and expect to have a great culture. Like that that is a moment towards your culture, I and mean, I think that's a that's a common misconception. But yeah, there's a it's a big time of investment to to get your culture right. But I think it's so worth it. I think culture is where the magic happens and. And it allows a, a common team to accomplish uncommon things if you if you're able to get it right. I think that family analogy there is is perfect. And that word family, you let the players choose that, didn't you, at Loughborough this season? Yeah, we did. We uh, we actually did uh, in our in our end of season review last year. Um, one of the questions I asked was what what three words best describe our program, and the guys were able to, we used a Mentimeter and they, they typed their three answers in and as the answers were coming in, it kind of made a wordle um, and family was, was the one that people submitted the most. So that came 
as the biggest word across our our screen and, and in that word also it was an easy choice to choose that and and guys have have i've used it to to kind of fuel what we're about and let it let it shape our vision and values and yeah family family has been huge for us and, and i want people to you know culture is not just about the years that you're there um but it's the years after as well so when these guys leave i still want them to feel that they're a part of the loughborough family and they have the ability to come back and it's uh it's something that that means a lot to them and is a special place in their heart it's, it's really good i think loughborough generally as a sporting culture have a very a very strong meaning and desire and obviously that's led to a lot of success but when I came down to your training session I could definitely feel that I, I guess at the time I might not have realised what it was but I, you could, I could definitely feel something that was different to a lot of other teams that I've watched I think you just come off the back of a loss actually and you were talking a lot about how you need to improve defence but all the players although as you said some players might have um, been annoyed that they'd lost in the previous game and stuff like that. What I found incredible was that in the, in the training session, players on opposite teams were congratulating and high fiving and supporting players that were they were against in in the matches because ultimately, obviously, you're all on the same team, you know, as as a Loughborough team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. It's it's really neat to hear that because you know I'm I'm. I'm fully engulfed in in that environment, so it's nice to to hear somebody who's just coming in and observing um, that you're picking that up. So that's that's really really good. But yeah, it's definitely something we emphasise. You know, it's uh, it is about celebrating and seeing the best in others, and and we do a ton of stuff to to try and encourage those behaviours. And guys have seen the benefit of that. But yeah, we try to own the gym as much as possible. And that's that's about um, providing providing high amount of, of energy, providing a high amount of competition, um, just trying to be the best version of yourself because you want to you want to raise people up. You know, it's it's a it's an environment, a healthy competitive environment where we have the ability to really battle with each other. Um, but like I said, with a, with a good family, you're going to battle, and then you're going to be best friends right after the practice. So. Yeah, there's there's so many contributing factors in in how you need to build that, um, but I'm glad that that exists in in our environment. Yeah, it was 100 percent that competitive element. But after that um, that play or that session had completed, you know, they were they were um, congratulating each other on on good things that they'd done. And I think Brandon Jackson, I think he's your captain. He came over at the end and thanked me for coming, and you know that was something that. You know, theoretically, didn't may not needed to done, but it definitely went a long way to, to you know, my impression on the team and everything like that. So that was kind of a testament to what your team was like. Yeah, I, I think all of those things are big, big piece. I, uh, Reese Pinnock is actually our captain, um, but I expect everybody to have like leadership or captain qualities. Like it's. I think the captain is a label, but we're all leaders and you all lead in different way. And, and Brandon was, was somebody that, you know, he, he likes to, to show appreciation to, to people that show appreciation in him. And, and that's a big part of our culture as well is um, the gratitude of being a part of this and 
for other people to for like somebody like yourself, Dan, to, to come down to the session just to see what's going on. Like we appreciate that. And I think it's important that they, they also learn the life lessons that you should go over to that person and you should shake their hand and look them in the eye and, and say, thanks for coming. And is there anything, is there anything we can do for you? And, um, yeah, I think all of that is, is part of building the culture, but it's also the life lesson because they need to have that for, the time later in life when they're uh, when they're gone and, and basketball is no longer there and they're in whatever job they're in you know the, all these guys hopefully are going to be pro basketball players but they're going to be a pro in something else like maybe a, a teacher or an engineer or a ceo or you know whatever, whatever that needs to be so yeah i think a, a big part of our culture is to teach them those life lessons for life after loughborough and that's how we phrase it but uh, that's a massive, massive part of what we do. Yeah, so it's a powerful message. Now, communication is really important in a team culture, and I've heard you talk about before, like communication investment with the players and each other. Yeah, a, a massive, massive piece, and it can be... Uh, communication can come in so many different ways, and, and it's such a, a broad topic that everybody knows... Um, you need in order to be successful but uh yeah it's it's really emphasized with us and i think something that goes under the radar is your ability to be a great listener so a lot of a lot of people and we've all heard this quote of um you you're listening to respond rather than listening to understand and we've we've done some interventions where we've worked on you know being an active listener um and I also think there, there has to be with communication some sort of acknowledgement that you heard it, right? So same thing with, with accountability. Uh, there has to be almost a, a read receipt. You know, when, when people send a WhatsApp message and <laughs> you, get the, you get the blue ticks, you know that somebody's read it. So you know that it's been, it's been digested by them. And I think there's also, you also need that in, in a healthy culture and environment like you need you need somebody to respond to say yeah i heard you i got you and whether you like it or dislike it you get you get to do with that information whatever you want but i think it's really important that you show the person who has been communicating with you they have they have the the right to know that that's been understood so um yeah i i, I think there's there's a there's a misconception where like you you almost you almost have to show gratitude that they're giving you that information. Does that make sense? So, like, if if you're showing gratitude that, like, if it's a tough conversation and you're hearing some tough feedback, at least acknowledge it because then they're more willing to do that again. Whereas if you dismiss it, then it it generally might not make that person give you that feedback again. But we all need that feedback in order to uh, in order to grow in the right direction. Smashing, yeah, it shows that value into what they're saying and that you appreciate, yeah, the information that they're giving you and as a team, you've got to value each other and that's one great way of showing it that you are appreciating what they're saying to you. Yeah. You also talk about having a safe seat with your team and you use this method um, to, to increase that kind of communication between the players but that understanding of each other as well. Yeah, this 
This one's this one's really big for for multiple different reasons. So, I mean, what what the safe seat is is it's a, it's a small exercise that we do where um, one player will will kind of sit in the safe seat and they're asked they're asked ten questions from from the team, and those ten questions can be about anything and everything, and it's really about let's let's get to know you. So, a couple of things with that. Um, First of all, it starts out very, very awkward a little bit as as, the, as you as the initial guys do it. Um, the questions are um, a, li- a little bit fluffy to start with, but then over time they get more and more and more meaningful, more and more and more deep. And as as more guys sit in the in the safe seat, these conversations become really rich and. They give you a snapshot of somebody, but then you also have the opportunity to dive a little bit deeper and you really get to know each other. So that's that's part one. Um, and then the safe seat is is a contributing factor to creating the environment where it, where it's safe to fail. You know, there's there's a study by Google um, and they, they looked at what, what made successful groups and one of the most consistent common themes in that was that it, it's an environment where you're safe to fail. Now, op- opposite to that, an environment where people jump on each other right away, any mistake, um, that's going to create a little bit of fear. And then when you when you have that little bit of fear and that fear of failure, that's going to stop people from growing. It's going to stop people from being brave. Um, it's going to stop people from, from having the tough conversations. They're going to avoid that stuff. So you can't always see how fear manifests itself, but at some point it rears its ugly head and you, you want to create an environment where it's okay. It's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. You want to fail forwards. You actually, you want to create an environment where you're expected to fail because that's where true growth happens and you've got to have that growth mindset. So I think failure leads to something better um, and, and you need to, as a leader, find opportunities to to grow that and and make them aware of that. Um, so, yeah, it's, you think about your own jobs. You always want to be part. You always want to work for somebody that if you make a mistake, you're not going to get fired. You want somebody to respond and be like, okay, well, let's learn from that. Let's grow from that. How are we going to get better? Class, I think, as, as you just mentioned, that failure is such an important part of sport and developing or just in anything, really. If you want to continue to improve, you've got to fail. And, I've seen uh, failure, failure actually been uh, branded as information gathering, which I think is a brilliant way to look at it, that instead of it being failing as in losing, it's um, you're finding a new bit of information then to make you a winner in the future. So yeah. it's it's really, really important. And even when you go into you know the your actual practices within any sport, if players are, are afraid to try new things and... Uh, you know, maybe that bit of flair or that creativity, it will, it won't be there. And um, I know Gareth Southgate, the England manager in football, said that um, he said to his players to be expressive, which meant that he couldn't criticize them when they did fail, because if he started criticizing them, then after saying to be expressive, it's it's counterproductive. You've got to let them go out there, try things, and fail in order to improve. Yeah, I love that, and that's that's a great point, Dan. Like it's it, it, that's super super powerful, and and that's something that we're we're all striving for. And you know, we're 
as coaches, we're we're sometimes very quick to to highlight the negatives and and jump on guys, and you just gotta as as a coach sometimes like take a step back and allow it. Like, okay, it's going to be ugly and messy at times, but they really really need it in order to grow. And yeah, it comes. It makes me think also about accountability a little bit, which which is a huge a huge piece to. Uh, to build in a, a thriving culture, and I think accountability—that it's often where you know there's a lot of friction happens there. Um, but the more defined and, and aligned the the people in your in your program are, um, through varying different levels of accountability, then then the better culture you're you're going to create. And I think it starts with personal accountability. So as a leader and as a coach, I think this is this is probably the most important one, um, and. You know, with with other with other accountabilities like player to player, coach to player, player to coach, coach to coach, all all those things, you're you're reliant on somebody else. But with personal accountability, this is completely in your control, and you you can you can say whatever you want to say. But if you don't live it out, then and if you don't and if you don't if you don't hold yourself accountable with with no repercussions, then you're not really modelling the standards and the behaviours that you want. So you need to first and foremost have, have personal accountability. Um, and you've got to remember that whatever that accountability is, it also has to link back to your mission and your values. And like, let, let, let your mission be the bedrock and let that guide who you need to be. So you need to be accountable to what you think matters most within your culture and keep going back to that. So there's been times where I've done that really well, and there's been times where I've I've struggled with that in terms of personal accountability. But yeah, my, I mean, my vision is I I just want to be impacting people for the rest of their lives. So in everything that I'm doing, am I really about that? So I have to have that personal accountability. Um, and then with with others, like I think if you if you have a very special culture. That player-to-player accountability is is most powerful. When you have peers holding themselves accountable, that's where really, really special things can happen. And that that comes with like regular and healthy communication. And are you putting them in positions where you can educate them the value of that and how to do it? Because a lot of a lot of players don't know what to say a lot of the time. So um, when you have that player-to-player, and, and when they're really like. When they're building each other up and they're raising the standard, um, sometimes sometimes that can come across as as a little bit of friction. But when it's sourced from a place of care and I want I want them to do more, I want them to achieve more, I want them to do more for the team. I think that's really really special. So yeah, player to player is is the ultimate ultimate part of, of building a great culture. That's when that's when you've got something really special, and it actually makes. It makes your life as a coach much, much, much easier uh, when when you when you have that. And yeah, there'll be times where there's slippage for sure. With any any sort of accountability, um, you'll slip, they'll slip. But then it comes back to that. You know, it's, it's okay to slip. We're going to grow from this, and, and we're going to move on. So uh, yeah, that's that's my thoughts on accountability a little bit. That that's key, Mark. I think everyone striving to be a role model themselves leads to that, as you said, that player accountability and that player driven culture, which I think that's what the kinda the ultimate goal is for the coach, to then get the players to be accountable and driving each other on to set those standards. 
and as you said, it, it almost makes it then easier for the coach um, because if the players, it shows the um, it shows you that the players ultimately have that buy-in and that they're all they're all striving to be better and to improve each other. Yeah, and I also think one of the toughest parts of of growing a culture is dealing with conflict and adversity, and this this is where the magic really happens. And I know over the course of of my time as a coach, like in my early days, I was um, apprehensive and anxious about conflict and adversity. And now, as I've matured as a coach and I've grown, I've realised like how important that stuff is and I've embraced to, to love it like you have to really anticipate conflict so if you think of a, a, a lower end uh, a lower end culture where you kind of you're, you're deluded in that you think everything's going to be great you know you go into the preseason and everything's all good you get through that that honeymoon phase um, you think everything's going to play out fine like you're crazy if you think that that's going to be the case you know, you know adversity is going to come at some point. I mean, as coaches, we could we could write a laundry list of things that are potentially going to go wrong. Um, and so, yeah, the, the high end of it is is really preparing for it. You you know what's going to happen. You're preparing for what's coming up. You're you're already having those conversations before they're needed. You're kind of figuring out like adversity is going to come. This is how we're going to deal with it. And then when it does happen, you're like, see, I told you. There's no surprise here. Like we, we knew this was coming. So now we've got to do what we what we uh, agreed we were going to do. So yeah, I think I think embracing adversity. I mean, gosh, I I, I love the, I love this one, and it's it's so difficult. But it I think it really forges championship teams. And you you can't see conflict and adversity as as a frustration, and you can't be mad with it. You can't see it as a threat or get flustered or like. You can't be a person that doesn't want it because the high end is knowing that it's going to happen and you need you need to have the confidence to deal with it. The team needs to have the confidence and they need to feel prepared that they're going to deal with it and you're all going to tackle it together. And I think what, what comes out of, of adversity is, is being that better team and viewing it as an opportunity. And I, I love the, the quote from Martin Luther King of the ultimate measure of a man is, is not where he stands in time of comfort and convenience but in challenge and controversy and I think that one of the biggest examples I've seen of that is um, Virginia men's basketball program so two seasons ago they they had their most embarrassing moment of going into the NCAA tournament as the top seed so they were the number one seed and they got upset by the 16th seed in in the first round which is the first time that's ever happened in NCAA history. And then the very next season, they, they go ahead and, and win the championship. So I, I remember a clip being shown from, from their locker room after the game with Tony Bennett. And, uh, and you know, they all had their arms around each other and, and they were in the locker room. And all he talked about was, was the adversity that they'd gone through and how it brought them, it brought them all together and it, and it brought out the best in, in their team the following year and, they had the ability to stay humble because of what happened the year before, losing to the 16th seed, and because of everything they'd gone through, because of what it, it forced relationship-wise and, and drew them all a little bit closer, and because of everything they'd gone through through that severe adversity, um, they, they were able to, to do something really special. So you must see a little bit of joy in adversity. 
you know, and it doesn't it doesn't mean you throw a party when it happens, um, but you, you've got to see adversity and, and tribulation as, as an opportunity for growth, and um, they're gonna it's gonna be something that that's gonna bring uh, bring out something in you that that you wouldn't necessarily get to see if you if you didn't have that adversity. So, yeah, I see adversity as like yes, this is like yes, it's a chance to build strong culture. And you've got to shift your mindset in that, and shift the group's mind, mindset in that, and you know, almost have a, have a shared ownership of it. So things are going to happen, and and if if only half the team own it, or players own it, and coach doesn't, or coach does and players don't, then that's going to create some problems. So when when it is happening, we we all have to embrace it, and we all have to share it, and you know, it's something that that everybody needs to know is going to make us better. So. Um, yeah, it's 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 okay. It's it's okay to have it, and it's like okay, now how are we going to deal with it? So anticipate it, embrace it, and then. So I'm, I'm, I I told you I could talk about culture all day. So I'm flowing right. I'm down to, uh, courageous conversations is another one, and this was something in my growth um, where I've I've matured, and I I still I still need to get better at the courageous conversations. And you need to you need to see the value in courageous conversations as a coach, and um, don't avoid them. You got to you got to hit them head on because that's what can make or break moments of the season, uh, in my opinion. And actually, this is a it's a life skill. I mean, you know, we talked about my mission is to is to help them for life after Loughborough. And boy, if there's if there's one thing that that these guys um, they're going to face then in their lives, it's it's going to be having to have tough and courageous conversations at some point. So, yeah, I, I like to have them inside a basketball environment, outside a basketball environment. They're going to have them with loved ones at some point in their life. And, you know, you can't you can't just brush things under the rug and, and hope that things go away. Uh, you've got to talk about it and you've got to talk about what matters most. And you've got to talk about the things that most ordinary teams won't talk about because that's, that's what makes a, a thriving culture really special. And they can be... It can be uh, like uh, intentional, like open mic opportunities or player meetings, or it can be an organic conversation, kind of pre-practice, post-practice, or it can be a more formal one-to-one with a player. Um, can be in the office, can be going for a coffee. All those, all those types of moments where where you can have some really rich conversations, and you got to be really brave. You got to be brave and courageous, and have those difficult conversations. Um, however. You can't just you can't just have the tough conversations if you don't have the relationships that are going to bear the weight of that. So again, like you can't just go in and have a tough conversation with someone. You 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 need to know about them already. You need to have a relationship where they're going to be able to deal with some truth. So if you don't have that, then then you know it's it's almost counterproductive to go in with a really tough conversation because. Maybe they don't know where it's sourced from, and you you have to you have to be really clear on that. So, yeah, it's, those conversations allow you allow you to kind of achieve as much as possible, and that's where the the true magic happens, in my opinion. And uh, players love it. I've never I've never had a a bad one to one with a player. You know, it's only good things have ever come from having a tough and courageous conversation. Players players typically love to to hear your thoughts and and hear feedback and you know we all want to get aligned and there's always positive alignment that come from those meetings so 
why why avoid them? And I I avoided them earlier in my career, and I try to avoid them less now. And you you just you can't substitute a genuine time spent with players, like just a real honest, authentic conversation. There's there's nothing better than that, in in my opinion. That hard the hardest conversation is always the best one, and I think that really comes out in what you just said there. To having that conversation, even though, as you said, I can definitely say, um, as as a younger coach, you know maybe shying away from them, but uh, it's it's definitely the best conversation when you can properly speak what you want to say, you know, speak your mind, say what's actually happening, and I think the players respect you more for that than if you were to hide away and and not address it head on. But as you said, you've got to lay those foundations of that communication first and that investment in them before you can go in because otherwise it can seem a bit like um a bit more hard hitting but more of a train wreck than a than a true conversation if you haven't invested that time into them. Yeah, for sure. One one hundred percent. And I guess it's, it's some other some other thoughts on culture. Um you you've got to you've got to kinda of have a system to review it or to get feedback on it. And I think that's that's one thing that we don't do very well as coaches like how are you assessing your culture? Do you have some meaningful way to to define it? And and how is it how is it going? Like, what does your culture even look like? How does it sound, feel? What does it look like? You know what I mean. So um, you got you got to figure out where you're you're strong in your culture and, and where you have gaps. And because uh, it's such a broad topic, right? So. There's definitely things that are, that are better than than other areas. So you need to find out what your what your blind spots are, and um, it doesn't matter where you're at with your culture because it's ever evolving. And there's 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 never a time like there is no perfect time. If there's something to address, address it because it's about where you're going. It's about who you're becoming. It's about the environment you're creating. So it's ever evolving, and you know a thriving culture uh, it allows. It allows you as a coach to enjoy the richness of the game. Of the game, it, it allows players to enjoy the richness. It's, it allows transformation to happen, and it just allows you to create something really uncommon. So, I'm a little bit obsessed with culture. Like I said, I've, I've invested uh, I've invested a lot of time into it, but it is forever uh, evolving, and, and there's still so much growth for me. And you got to stay the path. You know, you can you can get very distracted, and you can get derailed. Um, so you need to make sure that you stay the path on what's important to you. And I think consistency is king. Uh, hard to do. Uh, being consistent is way easier said than done because there's so many things that can derail you, but it takes, it takes like real discipline every day. And it comes, comes back to like the relationship you have with yourself and that personal accountability. Are you willing to sacrifice some things to stay the course and, be about what you want to be about to build the program you want to build um, and easy to get distracted whether that's like some self-centeredness or you're influenced by wins or losses or the circumstances of the day whether there's some good stuff or bad stuff and you, you've got to live out of a place of discipline and you've got to set your mind there and you've got to set the player's mind there but yeah I, I think with a with a coach it's, it's also about being true like you you can't you can't um you can't uh, fool the players. Like you, you're going to get found out. So it's about uh, living with like truth, love, and transparency. And you can't fake it because players aren't stupid. They'll figure you out. So you must be real. 
it must be real to you. It must be passionate to you. You must be able to model it and live it out. Um, and let them let them know that your intentions. You know, don't don't hide it. Be completely open and honest with it, and put in that 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 intentional time to build it. Like it's just as important as building their free throws or building your technical and tactical and your systems and strategies. I think good leadership and a good culture is the foundation for all that stuff. Um, but we all still have to do our jobs. You know, we're, we're all still competing to win. So it can't be kind of a fluffy campfire, like come by our type environment. Like that's just not, that's not true. That's not accurate. Um, so you gotta be careful what you wish for because Building building a culture is is super super tough, but it can be so so meaningful. And I think a a purposeful culture is really really tough work, uh, but you've got to be willing to fight for it every day. And re- remember, it's always on show. So like every interaction, it's not a burden. It's just you just got to be mindful of it. And uh, you got also got to think what are what are the players willing to fight for? So you as a coach, I think you're pro- it's probably easy for you to identify what you're willing to fight for, but do they want to fight for the same thing? Is that aligned? Like, do the players care about the same things you care about? Do you care about the same things the players care about? So have you created something that they're actually willing to protect? Have you created something that's that special to them that they're willing to protect it? And that's where where there can be some derailment if if that's not aligned and, and they're not willing to do that and then you're you're protecting something that they're not protecting so that's uh that's a point on that yeah the players all everyone has to be on the same page and by doing all those things that we've talked about it helps that unity of all the players and the coaches together and you can kind of streamline where you want them to go but without those things everyone's kind of going down a different route and it's it's not all aligned and i think just listening to you there, um, it's all about living and breathing your culture every day. And I think within this conversation, it definitely comes through that you're doing that. Um, I'd love to talk about culture all day, but I just want <laughs> to move on to one yeah. one quick point um, about coach development and um, kind of what you do in order to keep improving. And I know one of the things is that you've um, you've mic'd yourself up for the matches and training. Yeah, that's been uh, that. That's been probably the best CPD I've I've ever done. And when I say that, like obviously, you know, there's there's clinics, there's books, there's there's all kinds of stuff. But there's there's nothing more raw than micing yourself up and watching yourself back. It is the most vulnerable I've ever been, <laughs> and you can't hide. Like it's the the ability to to actually see how I'm coaching has been transformational for me. So it it started out by just, just aligning me. Like, I think I coach in this way. Well, okay, how do I actually coach? And to see it, at times, it was very, very cringy. And at times, it was very, very fulfilling. So there's moments where I'm like, oh, God, did I really say that? Did I really do that? Did Did I really speak to the player like that? Like, well, I don't want to be that type of coach. And there's other times where it's like, that was awesome. I need, I nailed that and I need to do that every time. Um, so, yeah, watching myself back, the other part of it is it allowed me to understand the impact I was having. 
So my emotional control and my emotional balance, I became more aware of it, number one. And I, I started to learn how to control it because I could see how much of an impact it was making. Um, but yeah, the, the, the mic'd up stuff and, and watching myself back was, has been phenomenal. And, and we've used it in different ways. So I, not only have I used it for my CPD, but I've, I've clipped up little moments and like shown what our bench energy looks like, you know, how you're behaving on the bench. Um, I've used it with little player interactions and, and clips when I'm giving them feedback. And it also, it also just aligned me on like what I thought happened and what actually happened. So I often, I, I watch the, the bench cam and the game, the game cam back and, you know, there'll be a moment in a game where, from my angle, <laughs> I look and see something, but from the other angle, it, it might not necessarily be the case. So maybe I've given some feedback to a player, which I felt was accurate in that moment. And most of the time I am right. No, I'm just <laughs> um, But uh, yeah, it allows me that opportunity to, to go and say sorry at times, you know, and I think that's really powerful and be like, hey, I've watched it back and you know what, I was wrong yesterday. And you have that really powerful conversation, and you get to you get to have that breakthrough conversation after that with the player. So, yeah, that's been awesome. I would recommend anybody that has the opportunity, even if you can't film yourself, at least record yourself. And it all started, to be honest. I I wanted to record my timeouts just to see how I was I was doing with timeouts, and then I just thought, well, why not record the whole game? And and that's been so so rich and so powerful in in my development as a coach. There's some brilliant points that you've just made there. I think something that I've realised, you can mean one thing as a coach and in your head it makes complete sense, but the actual perception of what is viewed from as a player, that's the most important thing. It's how they're receiving it. No matter how you're saying it, if, they, you know, if they're not perceiving it in the, right, in the same way that you do, it's, it's, you know, it's meaningless. You're not getting the that's, same... You know, that, that's a great point you make there, Dan, because... That was one thing that came from the video as well, is what, what I was saying, I wanted to know what the players were hearing because as a coach, when you're, when you're coaching and you're delivering, like you still have the internal dialogue going on in your head. So it's like your head's moving at, and your thoughts and reflections are moving at such a rapid speed. I was wondering, like, how did I actually sound? What was coming out of my mouth? How was it, how was it being... Um, heard and perceived and how did it land with the players and I was genuinely surprised like I that was one thing that, that I was really happy about is it it was coming out much better than I thought because in my head I was it was like a, it was like a duck on water you know? I was my feet were going so crazy underneath and I was wondering if on top of the water I was I was smooth and I was looking like I'm just kind of floating on the water but I felt like I was I was the duck's feet underneath, like paddling like crazy. And uh, yeah, that was that was one thing that that really surprised me, and I was really happy about. And you know, there's there's times where I messed it up, but uh, yeah, it was, that was a big growth growth uh, reflection for me. The perception is is such a powerful thing. I think linking it to anything. So if you turn up to a job interview, and if you know if if you turn up scruffy and you know your shoes are battered and you know you're wearing something that isn't very smart you know instantly you could be the smartest person and the best qualified person for that job but you're not getting the right perception across and it's the same in coaching if you're 
you could be saying some of the best messages and the best tactics and the, the best things to the players, but if it's something little that's so easy to change, but you're not aware of it, like your posture or the, you know, the way you're looking at the players, there's all these things are so important, but without that reflection of recording or watching yourself back, you're unaware of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it comes back to. Like you're always on show, you know, it's, you're always emphasizing something, whether that's good or bad, and you, you you really have to be mindful of that. Definitely, I really really believe that. Um, just going quickly back to you said you had a bench count, which is quite interesting. Um, Pep Guardiola he recorded his bench at Barcelona, and um, when they scored a goal, this was when he first got the the new team, and he had a feeling that some of the players weren't all aligned into what the whole team and what he wanted to achieve as a club. They were there more for their personal gain. And he recorded the bench, and when they would score, there'd be three players who wouldn't celebrate because maybe the player who had scored was playing in their position. And within a year, all the players who weren't celebrating were gone, were sold. So what if, it's, it's really interesting. And I mean, I guess you're looking at yourself, but... You're also looking at the players when you have a look at the bench, Cam. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and I've I've shown I've shown the team back clips of that as well. Like we we talk about owning the gym. So when we when we want to own the gym, like we want to we want to dictate the energy in the room. We want to dictate the the momentum of the game. And I think that's a big part because you you think just like in its in its basic form, if if you're in an environment of high energy and high celebration and, and encouragement, that's going to bring more out of you. And you are what you emphasize, right? So if we're emphasizing all that good stuff, we're more likely to get more of it. And there's, there's been times where I've shown players, you know, this, this, is, this is not what you want to look like. Or I've called, called guys out, like, you're the only one that's not standing up and celebrating for your teammates. How does that look? How does, how does that make you feel? And, and, and having those courageous conversations, I guess. And yeah, we want to be we want to be a team that you hate to play against, but want to be a part of. And I think that's that's a that's a big key to to the environment we create. So I want teams to to hate to play against us. And like when when Loughborough comes up on the schedule, I want them to be like, oh man, I hate playing against those guys. They're relentless. They they're, they're so energetic and uh, you know I want them to have that feeling like the the dread to play against us. But then it, by the end of the game, I want them to be like, Man, I wish I could play on that team. And that that's that's based on your your culture and your environment and who you're showing up as and how you're behaving. And you know I'm I'm really attached to that. I'm really attached to the thought of be the team you hate to play against, but but the team you want to be a part of. I love that being being relentless, but also being that team that people want to want to join but hate playing against. That's um that's kind of the ultimate, isn't it? That that people hate playing against you, but also want to play for you. That's, yeah, that's yeah. brilliant. Um, one last thing that I just wanted to touch on. There's some great coaches, obviously, who've been in the NBA in basketball: Larry Brown, Pat Riley, Phil Jackson, as we mentioned, and then in college basketball, you've got uh Coach K and John Wooden and Bobby Knight. There's some great, great coaches, but who, it might it may be one of them, or it may be people that you've worked with, but who have you taken that coaching inspiration from? Oh, man, good question. I mean, there's, 
there's so many you know like um you talk about coaching inspiration it's it's hard it's hard for me to identify exactly who because i i'm pretty open to, to taking inspiration from from anywhere and yeah you know it's great to listen to the clinics of you know greg popovich or or you know you name name the list of, of great clinicians out there and videos that are out there but I think there's nothing better than just an organic conversation with another coach and something in this lockdown phase is it's been great to just connect with other coaches and have coaching conversations and learn learn from others and and um, I, I like I like what thrive what what motivates me so to speak is just the opportunity to get better every day and you can't you can't be judgmental or or have have these like comparative comparative thoughts on anything just just shut up and do your job like get better at doing your job every day you know and um i think comparison is the thief of joy so you can't be comparing yourself to anybody or or anything but coaching is stealing <laughs> a lot of the things i do in, in my coaching um philosophy and, and the way i'm shaped like i've stolen it and adapted it from somebody else there's very rarely that I make something up myself. You know, I've I've listened to something somebody said and I've gone, oh, I like that and I'll steal that um, and I'll change that to, to fit my environment. Like that's, that's one thing that I think I do a good job of is I'm a very, very good listener, but then I, I'll interpret it for what's best for, for me and, and my environment and the kind of people that I have in the room because it, it, it's not... It's not always uh, it's not always to easily do the same thing as somebody else. So yeah, I I, I digress in terms of coaching inspiration, man. There, there's so many. It's, that's a really tough question, Dan. And I kind of the point I want to make is it it can come from anybody at any time as long as you see it in that way, so to speak. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the great bit about coaching, as you've alluded to there, is that you can pick and choose on loads of different parts and little things of all coaches from all different backgrounds and all different um, different sports and it's great and I think something you just touched on as well with uh, talking about your own journey and you, it's, it's the same with players and I think it's important that people don't judge their journey or measure their journey with someone else's ruler. You need to go along your path and the, the way you want to reach it but 100% you can pick and take bits and adapt it to your your sessions and, and your way from loads of brilliant coaches yeah i love that i love that i'm a big fan of sticky language and uh, and that was a good one i'm gonna steal that one thanks right mark um as i said i could definitely talk with you about culture or about some amazing coaches or coach development all day but um i think we'll we'll come to a finish there i think there's some great points that we've made uh, well, that you've made and I think a lot of coaches in all sports can take lots of things away from that so thank you very much for coming on no thanks for having me it's, it's been a pleasure I always uh, I love talking about this, this stuff it gets my juices going so <laughs> I'm, I'm all fired up I wish I could go coach my team right now but uh, I might as well dive into, into being a better coach today <laughs> brilliant thank you very much Mark no problem thanks Dan That's the end of the podcast, guys. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I thoroughly did. Subscribe for more and follow us on Twitter at WT Coaching.